You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. You know, Father's Day is one of those times where it, it, it is a unique day in the sense of there's a lot of emotions attached to it. Like I said in our prayer just now, you may be you may not look forward to Father's Day because of how your earthly dad treated you. Maybe you were blessed and uh, your earthly dad was was fantastic, and so Father's Day is a great time to celebrate. But I also acknowledge the fact that you know I got my start in ministry and kids ministry. And man, it, 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 Father's Day weekend in kids ministry was a very unique weekend because we wanted to make sure to love and celebrate the, the families that had great fathers and great dads. And, and that's, that's awesome. That's amazing. That's biblical. But we also want to make sure to make a point to love on those kids that when you say dad, they just have a, a sickening feeling in their stomach. And so um, just know as we just prayed, your Heavenly Father loves you, and He sees you, and He's for you, and He's not against you, and uh, He has good things for you. Hey, today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about one of the topics that our spiritual enemy, the devil, hates, maybe not the most, but it's, it's up there, and today we're going to talk about biblical masculinity, biblical masculinity. And uh, you may be sitting there thinking, before I get into it, you may be sitting there thinking, well, how does that apply to me? Okay, so for all the dads and all the the husbands in the room, uh, my prayer today is this, is that as we look at God's Word, you would be reminded and maybe even learn a little something, be encouraged in what God's Word has for you in, in His Word and how what your role is in this world, what your purpose is in this world. Uh, I would uh, My prayer for the wives in here is that as we look at Scripture that talks about biblical masculinity, that you would um, see in God's Word how you can support and encourage your husband to walk in this role um, and, 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 and truly get behind him and say, man, go for it. Go for everything that God has for you and watch how it'll bless, bless your family. If you're a single man in here and you hope to be married uh, someday, here's what I would tell you. Take good notes on, on everything that we talk about today. Take good notes on everything we talk about today and begin to grow in these areas because you may be believing and praying and uh, hoping that God's going to send the perfect woman into your life. But if you're not doing your part, God can't send the perfect woman because you're not going to steward that relationship well how he wants you to. And so take good notes today. Apply this to your life and watch how God will send uh, the right person into your life, the right woman into your life uh, to start dating. If you're a single woman in here, maybe you're dating someone who, as we look at some of the stuff, you'd say, he is not this. He is not pursuing this. He has no desire to be what God's called him to be. My prayer is this, and I would tell you to prayerfully consider and prayerfully seek God on what the future of that relationship actually is. Because if they're not right now, if you're dating them and they're not right now, pursuing what God has for them, they're not going to change when you get married. I hate to tell you that, but they're not going to. They're not going to just something magically shift. Now, God can do a miracle, absolutely, but God's desire is not that you would have to disciple your fiance as, as the, the woman in the relationship. That's not God's desire for you. He's got his plans for you and a role for you. He doesn't put that weight on your shoulder. That's the man's job to take it on. I'm going to grow myself in the Lord. I'm going to mature in the Lord myself. And in doing so, 
everything begins to fall into place. And so I would encourage you, all the, the single women, take good notes today too. Uh, and again, if you're dating someone, prayerfully seek God about the future of that relationship. And if you, maybe you're not dating someone, but you hope to, take good notes. And as you consider, should I date that person? I'm going to give you a lot of stuff today to look at. And if, again, if they're not pursuing this or they're not living it out, um, seek the Holy Spirit. See what he would have uh, for you in that relationship. Here's what I would say. The struggle of manhood today has incited chaos into every other area of our lives and of our culture. Every other area of our lives and our culture. When we look at the decline of the values of our culture, the decline of the success of our marriages, the decline of church attendance, a lot of it can be linked back to the attack on manhood. Here's what's crazy. Um, and I'm not saying that to say, uh, woe, woe is me as us men. Okay, that's, that's not it at all. Hear me in this. Father's Day is the lowest church attendance of any other holiday. Now, today was a great excuse, right? I, mean, I got limbs in my backyard. I woke up, I, got, I had a, a tree branch in, in the bed of my truck, okay? <laughs> but what, I got to clear it off because I'm going to church today. We're going to make a statement. But Father's Day is the lowest attended ch- church attendance of any other holiday. It's below Labor Day. It's below 4th of July when it's on a weekend. It's below all of them. But where's Mother's Day? Easter, Christmas, Mother's Day. Should tell us a little something. Um, Here's some statistics. As I dug into this more, this is where it gets really, really fascinating. We'll put up some percentages right up here, and I'll explain what these mean. On the, the far left over here, when both mom and dad are consistently and actively engaged in the local church, meaning they're, they're attending on a consistent basis, and they're engaged in it, meaning they're an active body part of the local body of believers. When both parents do that, 72% of their kids will remain in church when they grow up. Not just remain in church, but be active members. 72%. That's pretty good. Here's where it gets interesting. When dad stays home, and mom takes the kids consistently, faithfully, by herself, without dad, the percentage flips. Only 33% of those kids will grow up and become adults that stay engaged in the local church. 33. Take it a step further. When mom stays home and dad goes, and he's the faithful, consistent, engaged in church, always there, uh, taking his kids, no matter what the excuse is, we're going to be in church. When we do that, it rises back up to 55%. So we should see a couple things here. Number one, dads play an important role. And number two, it's good when we work together. (laughs) When we partner together as we biblically should as husband and wife, and we lead our families well, God honors it into the next generation. One study said this, though, and this is the one that's just, um, it just is crazy. If dads, it says this, if dads do not attend regularly, only one in 50 of their their kids will remain in church as adults. That was a different study. If dads do not attend consistently, only one in 50 of their kids, or 2% of their kids, will remain in church as adults. And here's what I would say. Based on just those two studies, It's no wonder the enemy has been using culture to attack biblical masculinity for years and years and years. And here's what I mean. Every dad portrayed on a commercial, on TV, or on movies is a babbling idiot who has to be helped through life. But we don't see that 
for men in here. But that's how culture would portray this is what men are like, and this is why well, you just got to help them along because they don't know what they're doing. And, and, and that's not what God has for us. And here's what I would say. When we look at these statistics, this is no way in and no way to downplay women or a mother's role. Because I'm convinced that mothers and grandmothers, godly examples and their prayers have saved entire generations and have changed family trees. And I know that from personal experience in our family. It was a godly grandmother, a godly mother who said, you know what, when everyone else is kind of trying to figure their own stuff out spiritually, I'm going to stay strong and rooted, and I'm going to pray over my family and see God show up in a big way. But these statistics should remind us men that we have a tremendous responsibility on our shoulders to lead our families and to be godly men and, and walk in biblical masculinity. Here's the thing. Culture would tell you masculinity is toxic, and it's not. It's two things. It's biblical, and it's necessary. It's biblical, and it's necessary. Here's what's toxic. Cowards that prey on vulnerable and weaker people are toxic, and they have corrupted the views of manhood in our culture. That's what's toxic. That's not manhood. That's not biblical masculinity. And so today we're going to talk about this. And so let's hop right into it. Point number one is this. Godly men chase the lion. Godly men chase the lion. And I'll explain what I mean by this. That may sound a little bit interesting, but let me show you. In 2 Samuel, verse 23, 2 Samuel 23, there's a story in here about David and some of his mighty men. And here's what it says. There was also, starting in verse 20, there was also Benaniah. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time, on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit, and he killed it. Come on, somebody. Like, this guy's running around chasing lions, y'all, okay? That's amazing. I don't know why Hollywood comes up with their own movies. You just got to read the Bible, and you can, make, you can make a lot of money just making these movies. Here we go, verse 21. Once, armed with only a club, he killed an imposing Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. But I wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand, and he killed him with it. He said, I got a club, you got a spear. Let me get rid of the club. I'm going to take your spear, and I'm going to kill you with it. Right? What was he doing? This is a great example of biblical masculinity of a man saying, I am going to be on the offense. I'm going to, number one, I'm going to chase, chase a lion. Scripture says that our enemy walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And many times in, in, in Christianity, we just say, well, try to avoid being attacked by the enemy. Just, and if it happens, just kind of lay down and let it happen. Let the storm pass and then get back up and keep moving forward. When I would say, when we look at Scripture, the lion shouldn't be chasing us. The righteous are as bold as a lion. We should be chasing the lion. When I show up and I walk into the room and I have been filled with the Holy Spirit and I am dedicated to his word and I've spent time in his presence every day, when I walk into a room and there's darkness spiritually in there, it should be worried and afraid. I shouldn't be worried and afraid of it. See, we've got to flip the script. We've got to start, we've got to start realizing our authority in Scripture. This reminds me of the difference between cattle and bison. You see, cattle, what will happen when the storm brews, the cattle will find shelter, the cattle will lay down, and they will wait for the storm to pass. Just wait it out. But a bison is the exact opposite. A bison actually squares up with the storm, 
and it walks towards the storm. It leads the herd into the storm. It literally says, you know what, instinctively, I'm not going to avoid the hardship. We're going to walk straight ahead, and we're going to limit the pain that we will experience. Meaning this, we're not just going to lay down and let the storm do whatever it wants. What's the quickest way through this storm? Through it. It's coming towards us. We're going to go that way, and we're going to pass much quicker than us just laying down and letting the storm just kind of circle and hang out over our heads and over our lives for a long period of time. The bison says, no, we're going to go into the storm. And one pastor said it this way, and I think this is really good. He said, we have to quit living life as if our purpose is to arrive safely at death. This is oftentimes what we do. I'm just, we're going to live life, and our whole purpose is we made it to retirement. We made it to our old, ripe old age, and now we can die. Now we can be happy, whole, and, and strong in heaven someday. God has a purpose for men and women on this earth right now today. He's commissioned us to do stuff here. He says he has good things planned for us that he planned even long ago for us to do. We can't just survive this life and hope I make it to death safely someday. That's not what God has for us. If we choose to run away from trials, run away from awkward situations, run away from that awkward conversation that I'm supposed to be having with my kids or that awkward tension that's going on in my family. If I just continue to run away from it, I will be running and hiding the rest of my life. Godly men see a crisis situation and we say, I'm going to step in and help. I'm going to step in and bring solutions. I'm going to step in and do what I can with God's wisdom to bring peace to this situation. Proverbs 24.10 says this, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Other translations say your strength is too small. Meaning, when crisis happens, when awkward situations arise, when trials come, when hardships are, are guaranteed in our lives, godly men, they don't faint and run away. They run towards it, not from it. They walk into it with purpose, knowing, Lord, I need you to give me your wisdom for this situation. God has a purpose for men as protectors and providers according to Scripture. But hear me in this. Many men have sacrificed their purpose on the altar of lazy, passive existence. And that's not, that's not biblical. I'll say that again. God has a purpose for men as protectors, as providers according to Scripture. But the pressure from our culture, and many men have, have put this on themselves, they have sacrificed their purpose of what God has given them on the altar of lazy, passive existence. Well, I'm here. That should be good enough. It's not good enough to be physically present. I got to be spiritually present, mentally present. I got to be actively present in everything that I do, every area of my life. And here's what's interesting. This is not a new issue. We like to look at culture and be like, well, our culture is so bad. But this has been the same trick of the enemy for all along. Let's look at the Old Testament. Ezekiel 22, verse 30. God says this, and I don't have time to get into the whole backstory here, but we'll just look at this verse. God says, I searched for a man among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I might not destroy it. But I found no one. He says, I searched for a man but I found none. Here's what's interesting. Plenty of males, no men. There were plenty of males, but there was no godly men 
who are willing to fulfill their purpose by doing two things. See, there's two things in this. There's the physical side and there's the spiritual side. The first one is fulfill their purpose in going to work. (laughs) Who is going to build the wall? Who's going to be willing to get a little dirty and do what needs to be done in the natural for their land, for their family, for their culture, whatever it may be? Who's going to go to work? And then the second, who's going to stand in the gap for their family and for their land? There was plenty of males, but there was males, but there was no godly men willing to go to work and stand in the gap. And this is what it shows us. It's possible to be a male, but not a man. It's possible to be a male and not a man. Don't take much to figure that out in today's culture. God is looking for those that are willing to step in the physical, I can go to work, and the spiritual. I will stand in the gap for my family, for my nation, for my city, for my leaders, for my job, for my boss. I will stand in the gap spiritually, but I ain't afraid to get my hands dirty and go to work if that's what's needed. Both. A great question to ask in light of that, the physical and the spiritual. I like to raise this question whenever I'm talking with men and they might be going through something, is this. It's a good question to ask men for them, men to ask themselves. If my family was in, an emer- was in an emergency situation or a crisis situation, am I the type of man that I hope shows up to help? If my family was in a crisis situation, Am I the type of man that I hope shows up to help? Spiritually, do I have the spiritual answers? And physically, am I physically capable of rescuing my family if my house was on fire today? Last night, if my house were to catch on fire, can I carry my kids, my wife, out of that thing if they were unconscious? Spiritually, Am I willing, can I show up to a situation where we are devastated, all of us are heartbroken, we're sitting in the living room and we're all crying because we don't know why this thing has just happened to our family. Am I the type of man spiritually that I hope shows up? Says, you know what? I don't have all the answers, but I know the one that does. Let's pray. Let's get in God's word and leads their family in prayer. You see, I think oftentimes we have to ask, and along with that, we have to ask ourselves, am I capable of those things? Am I capable of carrying my spouse out of a burning building if I had to? Am I I capable of, this is one that's not very popular, but am I capable of the violence needed to bring peace to a situation? Ask any law enforcement officer. They're going to tell you, sometimes it takes some violence to bring peace. Anyone breaking into my house, am I capable of doing violence to them so they don't do violence to my kids. You see, something, well, people will say, well, that's why we have law enforcement, right? 911. That's why we pay them. That's why I pay my taxes. That's just as foolish as saying, I don't need to pray for my family because that's why I have a pastor. I'm there for you. I'll pray for your family. But whose job is it to pray for them daily and to protect, protect them first line of defense? That's our job as, as men and as women leading the household. That's our job. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says this, Be on guard, stand firm in your faith, act like mature men, and be courageous, be strong. God's Word makes it simple. Look, there's a, you got it. 
you got to chase the lion. You got to be active, not defensive all the time, not passive, not lazy sitting around. I got to be active and chase the lion physically and spiritually. Number two is this godly men take responsibility. Godly men take responsibility. Gavin's filling in the blank here, so I'm going to give him a second because it's a long word, okay? So let me stall before I get to my next slide. Um, We have to realize that in our culture, the responsibility and the traditional biblical responsibility of men has been stripped many times from them and given to other places. It's been given to, well, it's the church's job to raise my kids and teach them about God. It's the school's job to train them up in how to be adults. It's someone else's job to do what I'm supposed to be doing. No, godly men take responsibility. The first one is how we treat our spouses, how we treat our wives. 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. As the weaker partner, many translations say the weaker vessel, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Couple things we can look at here. The first one is this: Why did God make men the stronger vessel? Here's why: He has a responsibility for them to bear more weight, spiritual weight. Hey, there's more that as a male I am called and anointed for to carry that weight on my shoulders. That's my job. What does a foundation do? A foundation can withhold weight. It can withstand storms. It can withstand some shaking and some, some, some earthquakes. That's a strong foundation. That's what God has called me to be and us to be as men for our families. But here's, hear me in this. Too many men are crushing their wives because they've given all of the weight of the marriage, all the weight of the decision-making, all the weight of the child-raising, all the weight of the problem-solving to their wife. And they wonder why, well, she just won't submit to me and she doesn't respect me and she doesn't. It's because I'm, many men are asking their wife to be the husband and the wife. And I'll sit over here and do whatever I want to do and just watch golf all the time and play video games and do nothing. But I worked 40 hours a week, so I deserve that. That's not what God's called us to. God didn't design your wife to carry that weight all by herself. But look at the, here's why. The last, last half of this verse here. Nothing will hinder the prayers of a family more than a husband or a father who's not walking in his God-given role. Why do I treat my spouse, my spouse with respect? Why do I serve her as Christ served the church? That means unto death if that, I have to do that. Why? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Nothing, nothing will hinder the prayers of a family more than a husband or a father who's not walking in his God-given role. But here's what happens. There's this misunderstanding. That's the woman's job to raise the kids. It's, here's the thing. That's not biblical. Even in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that the man is called to instruct and discipline his kids. In the Old Testament, God commanded Abraham in Genesis 18. He said, he said to Abraham, instruct your kids in the ways of the Lord so that you can experience all that God has promised you. You see, Abraham couldn't experience all the promises of God without doing what God told him to do first. Instruct, train your kids in the things of the Lord. In the New Testament, Ephesians 6, 4, it says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, 
bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And if you don't know what that means, I would remind you, our culture needs dads who are disciplining their kids. Talk to any teacher in today's world. We need dads who know how to discipline their kids according to God's word. Several months ago, I did a series on the Ten Commandments, and I talked about honor. You can find it on our, our podcast or on our YouTube. And I talked about what does it look like to do biblical discipline for our kids. And it's not popular in today's world, but you can find it in here. You can just Google biblical discipline, and you'll be surprised what comes up in there. But we have a culture of absent men. They're, they're absent from their responsibilities. They're absent from their faith. They can tell you more about football, about hunting, and their job than they can about Scripture. We have men who can quote leadership books, but they, can, they can't tell you or quote God's Word to you. We have men who will never miss getting their kid to a practice or a ball game, but they cannot get their kids up on time to go to church. Absent. Not what God has called us to be. But we wonder and we're frustrated when our culture is going to hell. Well, this culture, man, they just don't, they don't go to church. This culture doesn't love God. Well, who raised this next generation? They make their own decisions. But are we setting up the next generation for success? We can't fix culture without returning to the biblical family roles and submitting to what God has for our families. Point number three is this. Godly men set the example. Godly men set the example. Small things done consistently lead to big results over time. If you've ever tried to lose weight before, I have, and I thought, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to spend an hour on the treadmill. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, hey, I'm going to drop 10 pounds today. Did it happen? No, that's not how it works. How do you lose weight? Small decisions over time. I'm going to cut that out of my diet. I'm going to stop drinking pop. I'm going to drink some clear stuff. It's called water. It's good for me, supposedly. I'm going to start doing, drinking that. I'm going to do little things and watch how it makes a big difference in my life over time. It's the same way spiritually. If I'm going to be a godly man who walks in biblical masculinity, I need to be diligent in doing the little things extremely well. And here's four easy things that you can do extremely well. And this seems elementary. The first one is this. It's prayer. I need to be a man of prayer. A man of prayer. I was listening to, um, let me read the verse and then, and then I'll, I'll share the story. Proverbs 5, 6. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and it produces wonderful results. I was listening to an interview with a Navy SEAL. He's a believer and he said, this is how I know that our spiritual enemy is real. He said, because I have brothers and my team, on my SEAL team, we had no problem going overseas, pulling the trigger on a bad guy and killing, taking life from evil in this world. But he said, we come back to our houses and go to our homes. And he said, we were too timid and too afraid to pray with our wives every day. He said, I could pull the trigger on a bad guy like that, but I, I, was, I didn't know how to even pray with my wife. What's more difficult? but you see how our spiritual enemy is working overtime against men to say, you can't do, that's just a little awkward. Don't, nah, just do that stuff, but don't do the little things well. Second thing is this, I gotta be a, a man who pursues the word of God. 
Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. I need to have God's word deeply rooted in my life. Deeply rooted in my life. Here's why it's important. Scripture says that it's, it's alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And many times we just think of that against the spiritual enemy. If we're gonna use this as a sword against a spiritual enemy, it must first go to work in me. It must first go to work in me, exposing my innermost thoughts and desires. Lord, I'm gonna dedicate time to your word every day. I'm gonna ask you to take this sword of the spirit and cut out anything in me that doesn't need to be there. Any addiction, any thought, any um, action, whatever I need to cut out, even if I think it's not that big of a deal, if you ask me to, I will cut it out. I'll let your word cut it out. Show me, Lord. Number three is this, church. We just looked at the importance of it. Statistically, the average church attendance in America right now is one every four weeks, once a month, 12 times a year. That's visiting church. That's not attending church. (laughs) First Corinthians 5.4, you must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, most important part, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a, what's called a manifest presence of God's spirit that's available when the church gathers together. You carry the spirit with you, his presence with you. There are times where you get into his presence in a deeper way, one-on-one, but there is a manifest or made known spirit whenever we gather together, two or more in his name. He says, I am there with you. I am there among you. Meaning this, he is literally available to move through the room and to minister right where you're at. We need the power of God to work in our family's lives. Where does it start? Number one, I gotta be personally committed to him, but I gotta be in church. I gotta get my family in church. That's why we don't babysit next door with our kids. We teach them God's word. We read the Bible. We pray over them. We equip them to learn the things of God. Why? Because they're the same Holy Spirit that dwells in this place when the adults get together is the same Holy Spirit that dwells in that place when two or more of them get together. Guess what? There's three or four volunteers in there. That's two or more. There's no junior Holy Spirit. He's at work in there the same way he's at work in here. Ain't God good? Last one is this, my health. My health. This is a big one. Spiritual and physical. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must, everyone say must, you must honor God with your body. Not a suggestion. How am I treating this temple? Am I trashing it? Doesn't mean I can't have a piece of cake every now and then, okay? Doesn't mean I can't do that. I'm just saying, how am I treating it? No one, none of us in here would go into a church and trash it, leave trash everywhere, tip over the the. the tables and the chairs and stuff if we knew Jesus was going to show up. But that's how we treat our bodies oftentimes. We just put a bunch of garbage in and we wonder why God isn't answering my prayer. Sometimes I got to do my part so God can do his part. Again, going back to the question, am I capable of helping my family in a crisis situation if I needed to? Doesn't God, I don't have to be a bodybuilder, but I got to be at least capable of helping if I am called to do so in the spiritual and the physical. So what does a godly man look like? How do we walk in biblical manhood? You chase the lion. 
I don't run from problems. I don't run from storms. I don't run from awkward situations. I walk into it with godly wisdom, bringing answers and solutions that would bring peace to my home. I take responsibility. We take the weight off of our wives and we train our kids in godly discipline. I set the example. I am diligent in the little things so God can do the big things in my life. It's really pretty simple. It's pretty basic. But I promise you, if the, the men, the Christian men would get a hold of these things, our culture would shift. Our culture would turn to God. The next generation would turn to God. So men, as you leave today, I want to remind you of what we talked about. In the seat back in front of you, for all the dads in here, all the men, all the men, you can take one of these. We have plenty. There's a, uh, a bookmark in there. Grab one. If there's not one in the seat back in front of you, when you leave, there's a little table on the right. You can grab one there. On this bookmark, there's a daily confession. Begin, put this in your Bible for your daily time with God. Begin to speak life over yourself. Here's what it says. Jesus is first in my life. I love my wife and I will lay down my life to serve her. I train my kids to love God and serve him with their whole hearts. I am anointed and I am called. I am focused and I am disciplined. I am a leader of leaders. My family tree will be different because I serve Jesus today. Begin to speak this over your life. Start your day with this as you get in his words. Speak this and watch how speaking life over your life will change things and help you walk in the design that God has for you as a godly man in biblical masculinity. And here's the last thing I would say. You may be sitting there thinking, Pastor Dan, I got a long way to go. I've messed up. I have not been doing what God has called me to do. I've messed up more times than I can count in the past. I have such good news for you today. We serve a redeeming God. You may have screwed up a lot of stuff coming into today. You may have been doing the opposite of everything we said today. Guess what? God is big enough. He's powerful enough to meet you right here today. Today's the day of salvation and say, I'm gonna redeem you and your family and your family tree behind you if you will humble yourself and come to him. But that's what it'll take. As I pray and as I wrap up, here's what I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask all the dads in the room, would you go ahead and stand up on your feet? All the dads. I'm just gonna pray over you. I just wanna encourage you. I also wanna just take a moment and include in this, if you're, if you're in here today and you say, Pastor Dan, I'm not a dad, but I hope to be someday. And you want to receive and be a part of this prayer. If you have the faith to stand, I would encourage you to stand as well. If you say, I want that prayer, I want to be uh, prepared, I, I would love to receive that prayer as well. You can go ahead and stand. If you're a family member of one of the dads that's standing, we just reach your hand out? Just put your hand on their shoulder or put, put it near them as we pray over them. All the dads, everyone that's standing, would you just turn your hands, just palms up, just like this, just as a way of receiving, just a physical act of faith to receive spiritually what I want to pray over you today? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are a good Father. You love us. You have good things for us. You're for us and you are not against us. Lord, right now I take a moment to pray specifically over the godly men in this room that are listening right now, that are watching this at a later date, that are want to receive this prayer. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for them. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them. Would you give them boldness, Holy Spirit? 
Would you bring boldness into their heart as they maybe have to make some changes? Lord, I pray that you would begin to shift in their heart the desires for the things of you. Help them put away old things, cast off that old sin. Lord, help them walk in righteousness. Lord, I pray that you would build them up and help them walk in leadership to do what you've asked them to do. Lord, to lead their families well, to discipline their kids and lead them, instruct them, Lord to serve their spouses even unto death. Lord, to, to serve them wholeheartedly, selflessly. Lord, just pursuing them, taking the weight off of their spouse. And Lord, I thank you that as they go and as they take this word and they apply it to their life, Lord, I thank you that your word is true. It's what you said to Abraham. Instruct your kids, do this responsibility and I will pour out blessing on your life and do all that I've promised of you. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us as godly men, would you give us boldness today to walk it out and as we walk it out, Lord, would you be truthful to your word as you always are. Be faithful to your word to do all, not some, do all that you have promised in our lives. Lord, I pray for the dads right now that have kids that are far from you, that don't know you, they're not walking with you like they should. Lord, I pray that you would lift their, lift their head up today. <laughs> lift those dads' head up, lift their chin up today. Let them not feel discouraged that somehow they have messed up the next generation, that it was their fault. Lord, we all make our own decisions. I pray, Lord, though, that you would give them a fire to continue to pursue those kids, to pray over those kids that are far from you. And Lord, I pray, would you, would you bring the prodigals home? Would you, would you draw them close, God? Would you bring them back into your family, Lord, walking with you in boldness and in righteousness? Lord, I pray for those in here that they just need wisdom. They don't even know where to begin. Would you give them wisdom today? In Jesus' name, I thank you for it. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' holy name, everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.